Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Yes, here we are once again on a Tuesday morning. Whether you're logging in live on a Tuesday morning or anytime, you're super welcome. And this is actually quite a special week for us at the Message Trust here in Manchester because this is our Love Withenshaw week. And uh, we're all pretty much the whole ministry here in Manchester swinging into action and uh, loving on people next door at the grocery. Lots of events happening there, going out into the community, serving. And uh, BBC are filming today. And so on Sunday morning, maybe you'll want to watch that on, uh, on Sunday morning live on the BBC. But uh, yesterday was a great day, um, particularly in the park as uh, we had some youth events going on with the bus and our bands in the park, and 18 young people gave their life to Christ. I mean, come on. I said to somebody, I said to somebody, you know, for some people, that would be a lifetime's ministry, and they'd go to heaven happy that they'd been able to see 18 people bow the knee to Jesus. And uh, I believe in it, because I did that. I, I came across some scruffy band as a teenager, and I heard the gospel for the first time and gave my life to Christ. And it transformed my whole trajectory. My wife did exactly the same thing. Went to see my brother's Christian punk rock band and gave her life to Jesus. And everything changed. You know, it works. This decision to follow Christ uh, is transformational. And we're believing that for those young people. And many, many more are going to come to know Jesus. That's our prize, isn't it? That's our gold medal, if you like. Those young people giving their life to Jesus and older people we'll see later on this week. I'm convinced, um, you know, I mentioned that because I am, like probably a lot of you, a little bit addicted with all these bizarre sports. I only, I'm only interested in once every four years and I just can't stop watching the Olympics. But funnily enough, I read these scriptures, get this right, um, from Paul. And let me do a little paraphrase do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the Olympic Games goes into strict training. They do it to get a gold medal that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make, my, make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Can you feel Paul's urgency there? You know, his great prize is 18 young people. That's our gold medal. And my, uh, my mate had a, a son, has a son, out there in Tokyo at the moment who uh, swam in the 100 metres breaststroke heats and he came last, actually. I mean, he's an Olympian. He got to the Olympics and uh, he was devoured that he came last because uh, he was actually predicted to be first. And uh, this young man, 21 years old, trains five to seven hours a day. Not a week, a month, five to seven hours a day, every day. Just up and down that swimming pool, beating his body, going after that prize of a gold medal. And Paul's like, if, if he'll do that for a gold medal, what are we doing for the prize of eternal life? Young people, what are we willing to sacrifice? Even today as we go out, some of us, 
into Withenshaw and wherever you're involved, if you're watching this, wherever your mission field, how much are you actually willing to sacrifice so heaven can be populated, so Jesus can be glorified, so the kingdom can advance? Let's just pray as we come into the Bible together. Lord, we pray you'll challenge us afresh about men and women who are willing to sacrifice so much for things on this earth, and yet we have this heavenly prize. Challengers, sharpeners, equippers, Lord. Help us to know what it looks like just to beat our body, if you like, to bring it under surrender so we can go after you harder than ever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good. Um, so I've been thinking about where to go next. Uh, if you, any of you watch this and people in the room will know this, that for the last few months I've been going through 1 Corinthians and I didn't really, you know, I love to journey through a book. It's really good for me. I hope it's encouraging for you. And um, I was listening to this talk a few days ago and this guy was said, why do people stop at the end of 1 Corinthians? Why don't they continue through 2 Corinthians? Preachers get a bit exhausted, I think, at the end of 1 Corinthians. There's some hard teaching. There's some significant problems dealt with in the church. Like, uh, is it just going to be more of the same? No, it's not. There's a different tone. There's a different dynamic. There's new things we can learn. This is what this preacher was saying. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's give the next few months to journeying through 2 Corinthians. And that's exactly what we're going to do here whenever I'm on a Tuesday morning. Um, Chuck Swindle, you may have heard of him, famous American preacher, did a series on 1 and 2 Corinthians, and he called them 1 and 2 Californians. He kept saying, let's look at 1 Californians, chapter 9. Let's look at 2 Californians, chapter 9, because that's where he lived. And he's like, this is not just for Corinth 2,000 years ago. This is for California, right, today. We could call it 1 and 2 Mancunians or wherever you live. It is so relevant so what we're going through as people today, what's being faced in the church, it's like an intensely personal letter that Paul writes, even more personal actually, when you dig into it, the ones that were written to a person, more personal than Timothy or Philemon or whatever. He speaks a lot in the letter of 2 Corinthians about five things. Firstly, you'll see it throughout the letter as we dig in there. He speaks about trials inevitably, the opposition and persecution he even speaks about his thorn in the flesh that five times he asked the Lord to take away come on Lord I'm the miracle man I'm the apostle I'm the man of power for the hour surely surely you could take that away and all he got from the Lord was my grace is sufficient for you he got a no from the Lord no I'm not going to take it away I don't heal every time I don't deliver every time. Sometimes it's just power to get through. And Paul knew everything about miracles. He'd seen people raised from the dead, but he carried this thorn in the flesh, which actually is pretty encouraging, isn't it? Because <laughs> I know about the unanswered prayers that I'm struggling with, but I also know about the grace of God to carry me through this. The second thing, key theme of 2 Corinthians is church discipline. In 1 Corinthians... He challenged them about the immoral brother that they needed to actually deal with this situation and it was so significant that for a season they needed to actually kick him out of the church. 
And yet this guy had been repentant, he dealt with things, he was ready to come back, and they were like, eh, eh, no way, you're not coming back after all you've done. And Paul's like, no, you're going too far here. You're taking it too far. There is a time to welcome back our genuine brothers and sisters, even if they've done terrible things. And there's a word for the church. How we work that one out is massive for the future of the church. I feel like... Um, we're a bit in the UK, a bit like the church in Corinth. You know, once somebody sins, we're done with them. You know, ministers who sin and fall, finished, it's all over. Maybe it's fair to say in America, they're a bit the opposite, aren't they? You know, five minutes, bang, you're back on the platform. And somewhere in between those is the Lord's will. There has to be church discipline. And for a season, people have to be set aside to deal with stuff. But we also need to be operating in grace because we've received grace. So Paul deals with that in, in 2 Corinthians. Hope is a massive theme of 2 Corinthians. Our happy certainty of eternal life. Our happy certainty of heaven. There is a great victory to come. There really is for every one of us. And compared to our present rubbish circumstances, it's like chalk and cheese, white and black. Who could touch a person who really believes that? Who could touch a person who really believes, I'm going to heaven for all eternity, I've got this sure and certain hope because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. He rose, so I'm going to rise. The fourth theme, big theme of 2 Corinthians is giving. Paul's like, he doesn't say this, but the whole heart of it is 10% tithing in the new covenant as if, as if you're only going to give a sweaty 10% to Jesus. You know, as if you're only going to tithe. Where's that in the New Testament? We, we give in response to what Jesus did. What was his giving like? His giving was generous, overwhelmingly generous. His giving was sacrificial. His giving was well-planned. He planned for the great sacrifice. His giving was always based on need. He was looking around him all the time to meet people's need, wasn't he? Uh, Jesus is our model in giving. And finally, the big theme of 2 Corinthians is sound doctrine. There are false teachers everywhere. And there were then... And Paul's motivation for exposing them and in certain circumstances even speaking against them was love for people and love for Jesus. He knew that poor teaching often leads or almost always leads to poor disciples. People who don't really multiply the discipleship in the way that Jesus wants them to. After receiving 1 Corinthians with all its correction and direction, some of the church had like come into line, as I say, repented. They'd done the stuff Paul told them to do and they'd seen real advances in the Christian walk. They dealt with some of the significant doctrinal errors, downright sins in the church. But others, and this is the way it goes so often, others had turned against him even more. Some were saying, who is this joker, Paul? This little bald-headed Man with a hooked nose who can't really preach very well. This intellectual, we can't understand him half the time. Who is this guy? Who is this guy who's calling for us to sacrificially give? 
and they were criticizing him. They were trying to undermine his whole ministry and authority. They're even claiming that he was misusing church funds, specifically the collections for the church in Jerusalem that was facing this horrible famine, horrible stuff. So Paul starts the letter to 2 Corinthians by reaffirming his authority. Let's just read the first four verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's Paul's authority. And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in any trouble. Notice that, and I often say this when we start a letter like this, that the letter starts, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You don't get better authority than that. That's who he is. That's the basis on which he writes all these letters. And Timothy, our brother. So this isn't Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This is Paul and Timothy's letter. We don't even know Timothy might have written 75% of this letter and he gets nil credit. Have you ever heard anybody say, have you read Timothy's letter to the two Corinthians? He's, Paul gets all the credit and there are some people in this room who are like that. How annoying that people say it's Andy Hawthorne's ministry. It'll be Andy Hawthorne who's been interviewed on the BBC on Sunday and you're digging the flipping gardens. <laughs> <laughs> But God knows it'll all come out in the wash. You know, keep doing the faithful things the right way and you'll get the credit you deserve on the final day, the credit that really counts, the credit in heaven. And often things that are done on a platform, done in the media, you know, you've had your bit of praise. If you, you know, comments on Facebook saying, well done. Well, we don't really want the well done on Facebook, do we? We want the well done on the final day, don't we? We want the well done good and faithful garden digger. <laughs> he says to the church of God in Corinth together with all his holy people throughout Achaia so it's not even the church it's not even the letter Paul and Timothy's letter to the Corinthians it's Paul and Timothy's letter to a whole massive region a suite of church plants all sorts of it's, it's written to a vast region it's like it's like writing to the whole church in Manchester how could you even think about doing that nowadays? With all its different doctrine and all its practice and all its arguments and all its fallouts and all its weird religion. But in that day, there was only one church. In fact, there was one church for a thousand years of church history. And then suddenly, Satan stumbled a thousand years ago on a brilliant strategy to halt the mission of Jesus. Let's carve them up. Let's get them to fall out. Let's get him to follow the tedious little secondary issues. So we carve up the body of Christ. And I've been reading this book while I've been away. You may notice I've got a bit of a suntan. This is a Lake District suntan. <laughs> Lake District is the most beautiful part of England, but it's also the wettest and the coldest. And I'm such a man of God that it was boiling hot last week when I went to the Lake District. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Swimming in the lakes. But I was also reading Francis Chan's latest book. Isn't Francis Chan ace? And I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend this book until unity. Francis Chan, 
is, uh, I love him because he's committed to truth. He's fighting for the truth, isn't he? Always trying to pull the church, particularly the church in the States, back to sound Christian doctrine. He's committed to holiness. That's one of his great messages, set apart, set aside for Jesus in, in a dirty world. But he's now written a book about the third string on the bow that's going to bring revival. Unless we fight for truth, we're never going to see revival. Unless we fight for holiness, we're never going to see revival. Guess what? Unless we fight for unity. We have to be people who are committed to unity. And it's tragic, isn't it, that you know, there are every other faith and every other religion has three or four sects or streams and the Christian church has got 40,000. 40,000 different denominations. It's mad. And because Satan's been attacking us in that area, if only we could come together, we could get the job done so quickly. It was Jesus' great prayer that we would be one as the Father and the Son are perfectly one, that we would be one. That's his prayer for us. When he prayed for us, those that will become Christians in the next thousands of years until he returns, that we'd be one. That's his great passion, so that the world will believe. Our believability is based upon our unity. Somebody said to me yesterday, when the, when, you know, when the world looks at the church, is it any wonder so many of them don't believe? You can't even get on with the brothers and sisters. So we need to fight for truth. Yes, we need to fight for holiness, but we need to fight for unity and how would I dare call someone who has God the same living God dwelling in them by the same Holy Spirit how would I dare treat that brother or sister with disrespect there's a bond stronger than blood in this room you know my uh, I watched my friend's son swim in the Olympics and I was cheering him on he was leading the race halfway through and I'm like oh at the end and I'm feeling his pain I'm not like his dad. His dad was weeping. His dad texted me on Saturday morning before the race, said, Andy, I've got to tell you, I've got diarrhea. <laughs> I didn't really want to know that. <laughs> but I could feel the fact he wasn't even swimming in the race. It was his son. But he was, there was a family thing. There was a connection there. Do you get me? There was like something much deeper than I was feeling. It was the family bond. There's a family bond for Christians that we need to wake up to. And I'm telling you what, Gary Smith and Daniel and Lucy and others are doing with Festival Manchester is a beautiful thing. It's a sacred thing. What Ben's doing, trying to call together evangelists from all different streams and denominations to make the main thing the main thing. What our missions teams are doing as they go into a region and try and galvanise churches to reach large numbers of people to do events that no one church could ever do. I actually believe it's a holy thing. It's a God thing. I really do. It's significant. It's been the secret of the success of all great mission agencies like Operation Mobilization or Campus Crusade or Track It. The secret of the success of Alpha. Yeah, it is word and spirit. But it's that incredible passion for unity. And I still get criticised for being ecumenical. And probably somebody will chip in on Facebook. Go away. Because I'm not going to stop being ecumenical. I'm not going to stop chasing after church unity. You know, and, I, and we recently, we have uh, uh, been involved in trying to plant a church here. It's a church planted in, in a pragmatic response to a move of God, particularly amongst our grocery members here in Manchester. You know, it's beautiful. Church just 
full of all sorts of people who encountered Jesus and it's all brand new. But uh, I felt that little thing about as long as my gig's okay. <laughs> you know, as long as the worship team's okay and the kids team is okay and the welcome team and the hospitality team, happy days. And even if we have to nick a few people off other churches, but that's not God's heart, is it? We want to do things with excellence, but we've, I'm not a member of the community church in Shaston. I'm a member of the body of Christ across the world. There's one church. There is one church, not 40,000. And we need to wake up to that, don't we? Anyway. Hallmark in this passage of a true church, the true church is all here. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a true church is a church that understands grace. They're just recipients of undeserved love, as if I deserve to be a Christian, as if I deserve to go to heaven. Wake up every day to the miracle of grace. You deserve hell, you get in heaven. You deserve rejection, you get in acceptance. Wake up to it, church. Church that operates in that will be a very different church. But also a church that understands peace, were recipients of peace, the peace of Jesus, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that no one else can bring, the shalom of God. That's the church we want to exist in, isn't it? A church lashing out grace and walking in peace through every trial and challenge of Christ. It's the church of the triune God. Look at verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Now, nowhere in the Bible is the Trinity mentioned, the phrase, the Trinity. Everywhere in the Bible is the Trinity exposed, from the start of Genesis to the end of Revelation. He's there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. And here in verse 3, here he is, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. And you know that word compassion in the original language is literally paraclete. It's the word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He comforts us in all our trials. We do not face trials the same as other people because we've got the Father on our side. We've got the Lord Jesus as our role model and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit to comfort us in all our troubles. Literally, the word troubles is in all our pressures. We've got the comforter in all our pressures. In medieval times, there was a horrible, you probably know this, horrible form of execution. It was called pressing. They would literally press rocks upon a criminal. More and more rocks until the life was literally squeezed out of him. And some of my brothers and sisters who are watching this this morning might feel a little bit like that. You know, the stuff of life. One more rock, one more rock, squeezing the life out of me. If there's one more rock comes on me, I'm all over, I'm done for. You know, because this life can be pressure, can't it? And when you're kind of plate-spinning leader, you can feel that, well, I can just about manage that much pressure. Oh, no, that one's going down. You know, it's too much pressure, isn't it? But in the midst of all the pressure that we're going through, all the challenges, we have two precious gifts 
We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the God of all comfort, the paraclete who comes aside, aside us and is inside us and gives us power to overcome in a way we never would. Situations that would take others out don't take us out because we've got the power of the Spirit. But we have the power of the church as well. We have our brothers and sisters. Look what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. There's no trouble. There's no pressure. You're going through. You can't receive the comfort of Jesus so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That's what's meant to happen. I'm not just meant to be comforted in my stresses and pressures. I'm meant to be a guy who's lifting his eyes. I have received this comfort. I'm going to pass it on. That's church, isn't it? That's what church is all about. People full of the Holy Spirit, just looking around. How can I bless others around me? I had a lovely conversation on Sunday. A guy who'd got a bit, bit over the last 18 months, you know, one of our trophies. A guy, a guy who was saved in prison, but got a bit disconnected from church. Well, kind of was trying to watch it on a Sunday morning on his iPad. And it's hard work, isn't it? And yet the last few weeks has got reconnected in at the community church we've planted here in Sharston. And my friend said he saw his boss. And this guy is a guy with history of addiction and crime and prison and all that. And his boss had said, is he okay? Is he back on drugs? And my friend said, no, I don't think so. I think he's doing great. Why are you asking? It's just that he's so happy. <laughs> A month ago, and for the last few months, he seemed so miserable. And my friend said, no, he's not back on drugs. He's back in church. <laughs> He's back in church. He's back connected. He's with his brothers and sisters. He's being stirred on and built up. You know, in 1 Timothy 6, it says, if you wander away from the faith, you pierce yourself with many griefs. And I'm telling you, there are Christians all over the world. Maybe there's Christians in this room. Maybe there's Christians watching online. And you're going to pierce yourself with many griefs over the next month unless you get back connected into church. Get back, connect. Do not drift. Do not say, I don't know what my church is anymore. Get involved in a local church. Get involved and get filled with the Spirit and lift your eyes and look for those you can comfort because they're everywhere. And we're meant to be people who are comforted by the Holy Spirit so we can comfort others. Let's swing into action, church. Who's under pressure? Who's under pressure in Withenshaw today? Who's under pressure around us, our brothers and sisters? Who's under pressure? Who's about to go down if we don't come alongside them and pray for them and encourage them and bless them and just send them a message or whatever it takes, take them out for dinner and do whatever is necessary just to love on them and come alongside them because you've received so much compassion. Surely you can't keep that to yourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we can be those people who are just overwhelmed by your grace. And wherever we go, people experience lashings of grace. People who walk in your peace and share your compassion. God, you've been so compassionate to us. So kind to us. Let us be those that comfort others. Pray we'll meet people who absolutely need that. Thank you for people just really close to us here who would be dead if your church hadn't come alongside them. Would actually be lost for all eternity. Help us to wake up to how significant, how important this is. 
challenge us and change us, Lord, and let us be these beautiful people you want us to be. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.